Looks like we're live. Hi, I'm Peter Danico, and welcome to Core Tax Number Seven, where we dissect capital raises, crowdfunding, Regulation A Plus, and Reg CF. And my co-host is Stephen Brock of Medical Funding Professionals. Stephen, great to see you here again. Good to see you, Peter. Lovely day. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Hey, I'm real excited about this. This is kind of a bit of a preview, a bit of a what's to come for Wednesday afternoon, where we have a four-hour MedTech Summit and you know the, how the growth of Reg A Plus and Reg CF in the MedTech community has uh, really taken off. And, and I want to put my hats off to you, Stephen, because in large part, you've been one of the great educators over the last couple of years. And uh, hopefully we're going to share with some of our audience today uh, what's to come on Wednesday. And uh, as a jumping off point, maybe uh, you can give me a little bit of insight um, as to why you think Reg A has been really... Uh, really early, but really becoming adopted by the medical innovators who were looking to change the lives of patients. Uh, so I'll turn that over to you. Well, um, we have spent uh, the last two years educating the uh, marketplace in life sciences, uh, which we call med tech, pharma, life sciences, and um, biotech. And so uh, being able to bring this option to uh, that sector has been very special because it wasn't known or used uh, by uh, many of these people uh, because they just didn't know it existed. So the fact that we could uh, help them learn that there was another path instead of the VC path mm -hmm. uh, or private equity path uh, was really awesome for Scott Pantel and I to be able to show them uh, under our co-chair program for the capital plan evaluation strategy, how does this work why is it in our best interest? Um, and uh, how do we get this capital raised differently uh, than in the old fashioned way? So the deregulation of the capital mm -hmm. markets in this under the Jobs Act has been very, very special uh, for actually many entrepreneurs uh, using regulation A plus CF and 506C, uh, but especially for the, the med tech community, being able to see another pathway sure. to get that capital raised. Sure. Let, let's talk about uh, a lot of people still don't may not understand. You said it's a bit of an education or it's been a, a journey of an education. So one other thing that's that's transpired it literally took 10 years. We talk about this thing called the Jobs Act and we talk about Reg A and Reg CF. And the last two years, some data that I looked at was there's been like a 400 percent increase in regulation A, a plus filings. Um, it kind of appears to be like a overnight success in a sense or an overnight exponential growth. What do you attribute to that to, whether it's in the medical community or just reggae's at large? What do you think that is beyond the education? Maybe that's a big part of it. The, uh, are you referring to the med tech community or just in general overall, the whole space? Well, well, the med tech, I guess, I guess it's somewhat all encompassing, but we're, let's focus on the med tech community. So there's, big increase in, in, in reggae filings, and there's a lot more crowd particip participation. And I was just curious about your take. Uh, do you think it was just an educational thing or what, what were some of the friction points now that the medical community is saying, hey, I wanna raise capital this way, or is it just them understanding the, the value propositions that exist? Yeah, there is a, a bigger increase um, in the uh, medical world of using Regulation A+, but it is recent. Um, mm -hmm. So I think uh, the fact that the markets have been a challenge, that SPACs have been a challenge 
um, that them, that group, that sector learning that there's another path that's a little bit more, I think a lot more stable actually, than uh, having market prices affect you has allowed them to at least look at the a new way. And so they are uh, jumping in to use the tool uh, that's been around for uh, a number of years. Um, I just think it's education, awareness, the markets have changed dramatically and they have to fi find other avenues to get that capital in the door so they can execute. Yeah, and I think, I think trust and compliance is anything new. It takes a little while for that adoption to say, hey, I have to feel good as an investor. I have to feel good as, a, as an issuer. And I have to more importantly understand what this is all about. Um, I'm just was looking at something recently and it was to do with, well, I wasn't even looking at something. I mean, we have conversations every day with med tech professionals and I, I was very fortunate to attend uh, the LSI summit that Scott and, and yourself were, were super integral with at, over at uh, LSI. And I almost fell off my chair and maybe you, I'm, I'm going to share a little story here and maybe you can tell me if this resonates with a lot of your conversations. So I'm, I'm meeting with a, uh, a medical professional. He was in the med tech life science, a serious, a serial entrepreneur. And we're having lunch. And he says to me, um, you know, what are you guys doing here? And we said, we're a technology facilitator and we help um, companies raise capital from a, from a tech perspective to bring all the intermediaries together. Um, and he said, well, what do you guys mean by that? And I said, well, there's this thing called regulation A and you can raise $75 million. And I said, how do you raise your capital? And he says, well, we're here kind of learning more and we want to learn about these things. He said, but, you know, we raise our capital the traditional way. I go to the VC and I do this. And I said, well, tell me the story. Tell me the journey on that. And he says, he goes, well, I, I need to raise $5 million. And I said, what do you really need to raise? And he goes, well, I need $5 million right now. And then I need to raise, raise $50 million. And then he says to me, and, and he says, I go, have you done this before? And he goes, yeah, I've done it three or four times. And I go, were they successful? He goes, some of those were successful, but I didn't get to keep enough of the, enough of the money. And I said, well, tell me a little bit more about that. He says, well, you know, I need five and then 50 and you, you get carved away. And I said, well, what do you expect to keep? And before, the, before he has raised a dime, he said, I hope to keep 10% of my company. And look, I've been an entrepreneur and, and, and nowhere in my life have I ever thought of saying, I'm going to plan to keep 10% of my company before I even start the journey. And I don't know if that's a commentary in the med tech community or whether that's a commentary of lots of traditional ways of funding. Um, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that? Because it just really floored me, Stephen, when I heard that story. Yes, most of the... Uh people that are used to VC um, are used to having a big bite out of their cap table. Um, uh, so the fact that uh, that answer came out is normal, um, but uh, many of them do not want that to be normal. Uh, so they want to see how do I uh, keep more of my company as a founder because having more of your company gives you the passion uh, to get to endpoints um, and milestones. And mm -hmm. so if all of a sudden you don't have 80% of your company anymore, it's hard to, to maybe have that passion. But you know, the other side of the coin is I just brought in you know, $75 million or $100 million. So to them, it's worth it. But that is the normal thought process because of what they're used to historically. Um, so that's uh, something that we have worked hard to show mm -hmm. them how that can change 
by using pro forma cap tables, using projections that show them how do you stay in control. So we'll show them what does it look like if a founder stays in control, what does original shares look like, and the uh, getting in the weeds there, the problem is uh, they didn't realize that they were sometimes losing as much control if they executed a, a, a um, VC term sheet. Um, sure, they'll you know gotcha. they figure it out, but it's it's normal for them to think that. And our job is to teach them there is another way. No, well, it's, yeah, it's, and it, and it, I guess it does sound common. I think part of the education of saying if we're going to raise capital through the crowd. Um, I, you know, I've heard certain narratives over the years in conversation with folks to say, geez, why do you want uh, 10,000 shareholders? Uh, why do you want 100,000 shareholders in a private company? And I kind of scratch my head uh, on that narrative, because if I'm a public company, why do I not want large volumes of shareholders? So I think that I think the narrative historically was been technology also wasn't there to facilitate that you know, the management of those shareholders. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of entrepreneurs um, may have simply thought that I don't know how to manage this. And I think that maybe that's part of the evolution where technology and the regulatory exemptions have kind of converged with the market awareness to the public to say, Hey, you know, you, you talk about taking greater control of your company. And I think that's the key to any entrepreneur. And that's any, any founder to say, how can I control my company and, and, and have the best journey for both my employees and uh, anybody who's participating, you know, not just my employees, but participating with the raise. Um, so do you think that going to the crowd in the med tech community and I'll, I'll share another little conversation I had. Um, and we talked, we heard the term democratization of capital. You think it just opening that door to the general public where they can, whether they're impact investors um, whether they're looking to, you know, to find the next great thing that's going to be, you know, a legacy, you know, investment for their family for generations to come. Where do you think the line is there? Do you say how many investors are, hey, I, I believe in, I believe in, I believe in this entrepreneur. I believe in the vision of this new medical device, or I believe in, um, you know, they're going to make a difference in the world versus to say, I just want to pay. I just, I just want to make a lot of money at the end of this. Um, What's your thoughts on that? I think that the uh, management of that many shareholders uh, with the CoreConnects platform takes that uh, risk or de-risks it to some degree uh, mm -hmm. in being worried about that many capped, uh, many um, shareholders. I think it's a, a training exercise that's necessary for the uh, founders, the CEOs, the CFOs, boards to get um somewhat comfortable about that, because uh, that is something that comes up. Uh, once they get comfortable and can see that they don't have to run those through their Excel spreadsheets and uh, manage all that, uh, that's easier for them to get their arms around it. Uh, the shareholder and the democratization piece, what an awesome way for uh, the retail investor to get in early, to be able to build their balance sheets and have fun along the way watching companies that affect lives and the human body so dramatically and drastically as the companies in the life science sector. Uh, and mm -hmm. the fact that you as an investor can be part of that and impact that and help uh, those uh, groups move the needle uh, in a space of cardiovascular, whether it's uh, orthopedics, whatever X is, is just an amazing 
option for not available for like mm -hmm. ever uh, for the retail investor to get in early and be part of that. So I think that if the founders and the inventors uh, can understand the value proposition and have lots of shareholders, which also helps them have ambassadors to increase those sales when they're at commercialized, if they're not commercialized yet, is also mm -hmm. a secondary benefit uh, to being able to uh, buy into these companies earlier. Uh, yep. than when they go public. So I think it's a, a nice circle effect uh, for a retail investor to be part of and the founder to not worry about because CoreConnects does a, such, such a great job on the blockchain of managing those shares. Uh, well, well, thanks thanks for the commercial on that, Stephen. But yeah, you're right. Tech has made life, life, life's a lot, way, way uh, much simpler as far as the number of shareholders you have on your cap table is no longer an issue. But I think what you, you touched on is say you've got these brand ambassadors and these brand advocates. Um, I, I have a, my daughter, she's home for uh, a couple of months from school and she's in biomedical engineering and she, she gets to hear me speaking to all these different entrepreneurs as I'm, when I'm working out of the house and I'm not in the office. And uh, she's one of those people that says, oh my gosh, dad, I'd invest in that company. I love that story. And I said, why? She goes, because they're, they're going make, to make a difference. They're going to change things in people's lives. And I said, well, what about the money side? She goes, well, the money would be great. So, there, so that whole narrative of saying why, you know, that impact investing and looking for the future, but really helping these entrepreneurs and being, you know, again, being a brand advocate is, is really, really true. Um, at your summit, I had another story or the LSI summit, another story that somebody shared with me. And I said, why are you doing a reggae? And he said, well, so that the crowd can participate. And I said, what part of the crowd? What, you know, what do you know? And he said, to be honest with you, I had a, somebody say to me, he goes, one of my nurses say to me, Dr. Singh, can I invest in your company? And up until now, the answer was no, no, you can't. And in the case of nurses working with physicians, depending on what field they may be in or discipline, they were probably the most knowledgeable individuals, but they couldn't participate because they weren't an accredited investor. And that's just, that's what the crowd's really, really about too. You can also go after your audiences that relate to whatever product that you're producing or whatever service you're producing. And it, it's, and they're probably the most knowledgeable about it. They're going to see that impact. They're going to see the impact on people's lives every day, but to exclude them. And that's the beauty I think now of, you know, and I'm such an advocate of crowdfunding and, and, and an advocate of, you know, reggae and reg CF. It's just beautiful. Like it's just saying what we have people in our office when they see some of the offerings They go, I just, that's just an amazing story. I'd, I'd like to put some money into it. And now they can. So, so there's so much more to it than just, you know, looking at just raising capital for capital's sake. I mean, businesses can't, can't move forward. But, the, but these businesses in the med tech arena, they're impacting people's lives for now and the future. And I wonder often how many deals got stifled or went by the wayside because lack of capital and I think the ability for the crowds to participate can change that narrative dramatically for, for the companies. Don't get me wrong. You got to have a good company. It's a lot of hard work. Um, but to me, it's just that ability for that wider reach of an audience is, uh, is, is super, super special. Well, we have to get the uh, founders and the investors, the VC, private equity, high net worth, accredited angels, 
all those groups to know even more about Regulation A plus as available to them to even de-risk a little bit of what might be in their portfolio just because they have to uh, buy everything up on their own, maybe they can see it if they can take the time to see it that, hey, this is a, a value add to our companies that are in our portfolio. Let us use Regulation A plus to help them raise capital uh, at a, a lower um, uh, at a higher valuation, but a lower uh program of them not having as many shares available to themselves. Uh, so that would be very, very special for uh, the world to know that this is available to them as an investor, but also even in other countries, uh, Europe, et cetera, uh, mm -hmm. like the LSI event, um, uh, coming to the U.S. and uh, possibly setting up shop to utilize that. It might be a great economic development program uh, for other companies in other countries to realize they should uh, set up an operation in the States uh, because of this incredible deregulated tool uh, to raise capital under. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, I don't know if everybody is aware that you can raise capital from, from the world. Um, with the, you know, I mean, there's certain sanctioned countries that you can't take investments from and, and don't necessarily want to take investments from. But, but it's a global thing. So depending on what, what, what your product or service offering or device offering or whatever the medical technology may be, I mean, it's impacting not just one marketplace. It does impact the globe. And look, we live in this world of the internet. And I mean, as, as obvious as it sounds, um, if you're not taking advantage of that potential to get your message out there, I think companies are just missing out that opportunity. Um, but it takes a team to do so. And, and, and you're very involved with the team of, of various intermediaries because you've got broker dealers, investor acquisition firms, that have to do the marketing outreach. Um, but it all starts with, I guess, the initial stage in that planning. And you touched on something earlier, Stephen, that I, 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 maybe you can enlighten uh, all of us a little bit more. We talk about capital planning valuation strategies and, and, and what goes into that? What goes into like when you're mapping out, you know, a company says, um, uh, it's going to, this is a 10 year journey for me between FDA approvals and, and getting, getting our, our, our product to marketplace, for example, and you've got to map out that plan today and, and establish their valuation today. So they, they know what the market potential, what, what's that like? What, what is, maybe you can explain it, explain to me, explain to the audience that, uh, what you actually do for those, for those for those companies that are trying to first start their valuation. Hello. We do, we do like to uh, get NDAs from um, all the companies that we are working with so that everybody can feel safe about their data because we do ask for data uh, okay. in that uh, strategy. Um, but part of that piece is let us have your data to work around and study uh, the cap structure that you have. Sometimes people only have 200,000 shares. They may have had issued an outstanding. Uh, that's really hard to raise $40 million with that amount of shares issued an outstanding. So we're going to restructure that and show them how that should look. Um, and then, of course, the legal background safety to the company. Uh, maybe there's some reorganization of corporate uh, charters and exemptions that they haven't executed on. The market research 
that's necessary. Um, being able to show the potential of some bridge funding uh, raise available because of what's called selling shareholders. Uh, being able to um, have industry access and strategy is all under our CPVS program because it's important to us for them to see the whole picture of what's possible. So what long-term, what does it look like now? Uh, maybe mm -hmm. they've been in business for two or three years. Maybe they are getting ready to commercialize. Uh, we have a client that's uh, been in a space and on their third um, step of uh, being able to uh, have the FDA look at them in a clinical trial, third stage. And they've been doing this for 14 years. Awesome company. Um, so coming to the market at the right time is also important. You can't always go to the market if you don't have the right patents in place. And uh, is it uh, a viable candidate to go to clinical trials? All of that we gotcha. look at so that we they know and we know, is this viable? You don't want to take a company to the markets if they're not ready. Uh, and that's our job uh, in analyzing all of that with our team. Um, and then our team being able to see, yes, it's doable as well. Um, but at the end of the day, the client, the company uh, still has to execute uh, what they said they can do in the clinical trials, um, gotcha. but it, they may be already there. Or if they're ready to commercialize, then it's like rock and roll. Get that product to market. Get everyone to know. Obviously, a commercialized company is easier than maybe one that has to step stone to uh, clinical trials or 510Ks, but it's totally worth it because they may have something there that is so life-changing, life-altering, uh, that uh, the risk is worth it and no risk, no reward. Uh, mm -hmm. So our goal is to show them all those steps uh, under that uh, strategy. What does it look like? What does capital cash flow projections look like? Meaning, what are we going to invest to bring in the capital? Uh, what does IA look like? All of that is our job to oversee and help the client uh, manage that because it's a tough road to hoe if you're trying to manage it all by yourself and you don't have the background in doing such. Uh, team effort uh, to get that client through CPVS uh, if it's doable. Uh, gotcha. But that's the first thing we look at is due diligence materials to see if, is it doable? Is there something here? Doing, doing that deep dive. And as you said, are they ready? And, 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 and what are the, what are the stepping stones? And that made me just think a little bit, cause we're, we're getting some, um, getting an interesting interest. Are you finding firms that, that might just need that? And I'll make it analogous to, you know, a seed round and a series A and a B and a C let's say somebody needs that seed round and, and there was these $5 million reg CFs that are now available. And people used to think that that was only available on a funding platform and it wasn't for them. Um, and now the fact that you can actually take advantage of, you know, raise that seed capital of say $5 million to help you maybe hit some milestones with your company or, or use those funds to, to actually help you with a reg A offering, you know, for a larger offering. Um, because now you can control that journey and the journey of the investors coming to your website, for example, um, and not going else outside of your website for a reg CF, you know, in a $5 million raise. Are you, are you getting any commentary on that? Are you hearing anything about that direction, Stephen? People, founders, CEOs, CFOs ask about it because they're learning about it. 
Um, we present the information with our team uh, so that they can learn more about it. And then our team will get more involved in that CF piece uh, mm -hmm. because uh, to us, that's a stepping stone to a regulation A plus if they need it to be. Um, and those are decisions made uh, during discovery calls. Uh, and so uh, knowing what direction should they go? Uh, can they afford to execute a regulation A plus because of other rounds that they've done? Mm -hmm. Or is CF uh, the better placement? Um, and those types of things have come up rarely because we have marketed very heavily the regulation A plus, um, but CF has become more of an ask on how does it work? So it's another uh, training piece and mm -hmm. another uh, pass off, so to speak, to some of our team members who do CF, uh, like RDR, like Core Connects, like Rialto, um, because that's their uh, also their market space. And then the client, potential client, uh, the founder, the person learning can use it as a stepping stone to get more capital because five million is not going to execute the, the bigger raise. Oh, uh, no. The need for milestones to hit. Yeah, it's, 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 as you say, it's just, it is, it is a potential stepping stone for the right, um, for, for the right environment, for the right place. And uh, now we're seeing it outside of that. And I was looking at the med tech space too. And I think it may be, it may be a little bit more rare, but I think perhaps for the, um, depends, depending on where that entrepreneur or that company is today to say, Hey, I just need to go here, but I want to do a reggae. There may be a bridge, a bridge there. Cause we, we're seeing some interesting successes in that outside in the marketplace in general, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, you need a lot of capital. And the fact that you can raise 75 million with the reggae every 12 months, reggae plus is uh, it, there's a lot of meat on the bones to, you know, to get your company launched, you know, to really get to those next milestones. So those are big numbers. And I don't know if a lot of people are aware that the fact that, you know, it, we, we just assume because we live it and breathe that, that you can raise $75 million every 12 months. And there's some other interesting attributes to it. And I know that in the, uh, on Wednesday um, on the course summit, uh, it's four hour sessions of talking to the various intermediaries and stakeholders, and they're going to share what all the pieces to the puzzle and what it takes, you know, to build a team that, that you and medical funding professional quarterbacks, for example, you know, from auditors to broker dealers, et cetera, um, and just strategizing um, things on the offering in a reg A. And, and maybe we can just touch a little bit on, uh, on, on a reg A plus some of the interesting things that you can do. I know that the legal guys are going to get into that more in depth on Wednesday, but from your perspective, you know, we hear terms like rolling closes. We heard terms about selling shareholders. Uh, you want to touch on some of that with me right now? Uh, rolling closes, um, what happens is as a company is raising their capital, once they've uh, uh, been allowed to go to market uh, and um, launch, uh, they can, with the broker-dealer's involvement, uh, break escrow every month, every uh, couple months, uh, if that's what you're referring to when rolling closes, because yeah. that's how I see it, uh, yeah. is the escrow uh, funds come in, then allow them to bring in those funds to keep executing their 
to be executing their business plan in using Regulation A+, because there's more advertising necessary, there's more investor acquisition necessary, and that's really the majority of what it takes to execute that A+, once they're uh, out there, is the marketing spend, the ad spend. So Mm -hmm. um, they can have a rolling close where, let's say, every 500,000 that comes in or whatever X is, the broker-dealer will break that for them and deposit it into their account so they can keep... uh, going and have those funds available to be used. Um, And then uh, secondarily, uh, as a tool for some of the shareholders that have been around for a long time, uh, they may be able to have some of the monetization of their shares occur. Uh, They can be in what's called selling shareholders piece of the filing. So maybe they have uh, 100,000 shares and 10,000 of those shares may be sold uh, into the marketplace uh, after so much money has been raised by the company and they get to take uh, some of their shares off the table, so to speak, and pass them on to others. But it's also a great tool for the company uh, to think in terms of, okay, how do I get a bridge round done? Um, Mm -hmm. Offering the prospective investor how they could use uh, the selling shareholder piece as a way to have a return on their investment part of it early on uh, helps the company show a direction in funding the a plus so they can execute as well uh, neat tool on uh, selling shareholders uh, white papers available about that um, mm-hmm. as well as rolling closes neat tool that you can uh, keep you don't have to wait till the raise closes which is nice uh, you can keep bringing those funds in uh, also uh, shown in uh, presentation format how does this all work uh, which again is the goal of CPBS is teach, train, educate, and uh, show a, a way to get to the end zone with respect to whatever X is up to $75 million a year. Oh, and I think, you know what, it's that education again. You know, we keep talking about the education and what you guys are doing in the education. It, it, it's so vital and it's so necessary. I talk to lawyers every day and I talk to security lawyers every day. And what surprises me is they're still learning and becoming more educated on it. They said, I didn't know that selling shareholders was up to 30% of, of your raise. That You mean, I? what does that really mean? You mean, if I raise $20 million, $6 million, it uh, can go to the existing selling shareholders and it's allocated fairly and it provides a liquidity vehicle? Uh, I talk to lawyers and they go, it's amazing. They go, why, you know, I, I'm, I'm living on, in a world of, um, a lot of historical regulations and they're not that they're historical and they have a good purpose in a place, but they're just not unfamiliar with, let's say a reggae offering. So I, we talk to companies now and I think that's amazing. The whole concept of selling shareholders. I mean, everybody says, you know, what is the liquidity you know, side of things? Um, so there's so many different benefits. I think from a reggae, you can go after the public at large. You have the opportunity for selling shareholders. Um, we and then you the, have the alternative trading system as well after the end of the close too. That's kind of fun. That, that's uh, a puts in place. That's a great jumping off point. It nascent, but the vehicles exist now. So if I'm an investor and I'm saying, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at a reggae offering, for example, reggae plus and say, you know, what are the liquidity vehicles? Well, ATSs, they're, they're early, but they exist and they're a powerful, powerful way. We've got some companies, you know, basically putting themselves on the ATS now just for the liquidity for, for the, for that investment community that wants to buy their shares. It's as simple as that. Um, and, and that didn't exist before. And there's companies, you know, heavily engaged in that now. And, and I think that's just going to give more trust and confidence in the investor community to say, Hey, I've got more vehicles. Um, 
you know, is, is the end all be all? What's your take on it to go public today, Stephen? Um, the you know, going public uh, model um, will always work at its different points in time that it uh, works. Like last year, worked well. Um, right now, it's not working well. Uh, so uh, going public is, is something uh, so many people always uh, love to be able to um, pull off. What's really special in the med tech environment is the mergers and acquisitions availability. Uh, so there might be a, a, a better way to um, have these uh, companies uh, have liquidity events as an M&A opportunity versus mm -hmm. an IPO opportunity. Uh, but those are all decisions made as you get milestones accomplished. If you're commercialized, what's the markets like? Uh, big run was SPACs. Um, been around SPACs for 25 mm -hmm. years. Uh, was interesting to watch how many people were doing them. Um, but there's a lot of companies in the med tech space as well, not that many, but uh, the ones, uh, some that we had talked to and they went SPAC instead, um, uh, you know, you get crushed uh, because mm -hmm. of what happens in SPACs and markets. Uh, so big decision making, are we looking for M&A? Are we looking for IPO? The key is don't worry about all of that right this second. Worry about uh, executing so you can get to market as a company uh, and as a private company. And more companies are staying private because of other options out there. Uh, VCs are looking at Regulation A plus uh, more than they used to, as are PEs and others, uh, because uh, at least from what we see, there's more stability. If you go mm -hmm. out at $6 a share, um, as an example for Regulation A+, it's not going to be 550 at the end of the race uh, because right. there's no uh, market uh, forces battering you at, at this time. Um, so uh, when you do get to the ATS, alternative trading system, mm -hmm. are people going to sell their shares for less than $6 a share? Sure, maybe some will uh, because they need the money. Uh, I, I don't see that as heavy as a, a public company um, uh, and a retail investor, any investor uh, having some shares sold. So um, I mm -hmm. think all those steps uh, from the selling shareholder to the founders round um, to the ATS to what's the egg, the goal of uh, getting bought out um, in A, uh, there's great examples using PitchBook as a way to uh, run up against valuation on what evaluation looks like uh, in a CPBS presentation versus what does PitchBook have to say um, today, mm -hmm. uh, even versus compared to a year ago, changed in some respects dramatically. Uh, so sure. being able to follow all that is very, very helpful. Um, and I think when you look at the price points for Regulation A+, um, you have a little bit more stability there uh, than uh, the way the market forces are right now. So uh, IPO, M&A, uh, I think those are the two main pieces. But you can also, once you've finished your first raise after 12 months, go back to Regulation A+, and do it again the next year if you need to. Um, no reason to have those major liquidity events uh, out of the gate unless it's available to you on an M&A perspective, mm -hmm. uh, which comes from all the marketing, advertising, outreach uh, that the client needs to do uh, to raise that capital using investor acquisition. So you get a twofer. Uh, you're sure. being noted uh, by all the major players across the globe uh, because if you're marketing correctly, um, as well as selling shares, as well as increasing the potential of commercialized products uh, being sold into the marketplace or being bought uh, by the people that need those products. Uh, and that's very special to get so much 
from that advertising marketing dollar uh, from a share selling perspective to a M&A perspective to a commercialization perspective? I, I think a lot of people, even myself, I forget about that sometimes. You, you, you're looking at raising capital. You're saying, hey, I want to raise $50 million or something on, on the raise. And, you've, and you're doing this marketing spend because people, you know, the issuer has got to say, okay, how do I do this? What's the team I need? I need investor acquisition firms. I need some sort of marketing outreach. And they're looking at it just to raise the capital. But there's so much more than that. You're not just raising the capital. You, you're building that investor base that are your brand advocates, that are your future customers. And it's that coffee table conversation that they're going to have with somebody else, their friend or their neighbor said, hey, you know, I just put a couple thousand dollars in this thing and I think it's pretty good. What do you think? So you have that viral component that I think sometimes we forget about. We're just thinking of the raise and, and not thinking of the marketing. The marketing. Um, and the story and the outreach and the presentation to all the different players that are out there. Uh, that need to know this company exists because it's life altering, life changing. Uh, and that might be a space that they uh, want to be in as an investor or as a VC firm or as a private equity uh, or even as a ETF. I mean, it's, there's so many things. That, in fact, well, how would that be so cool to have an ETF for um, the regulation a plus that'd be fun. Uh, yeah, no, no, exactly. And, and, the brand side of it again. I keep I keep thinking of the brand awareness, the brand advocates. We talk about this wasn't in the med tech space, but when you hear the first unicorn come out, a billion dollar you know company that started with the crowd, um, you know, a couple guys in the in the in the beer business. I mean, nobody would have wanted to touch these young guys for 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 their filing. And those are true stories now today. And I think there's going to be more of those, you know. In, in, in lots of businesses and lots of industries. And I, I think the, the med tech space is, is just nascent and it's just waiting to understand and be educated even more on this. And again, I don't have to go any further than, you know, family members that, that, that hear what's going on out there. And they're saying like, I, I like this, you know, th there's good things that are going on. And again, the fact that they can participate and it's, um, it's pretty compelling, but, but on that note, it does take a team. So maybe we can spend the last few minutes here just talking about the team, the teams that are involved. We talk about, you know, um, at the start, they need somebody to do the, do what you do. They need the quarterback. They need that capital. And it's probably the most important thing. You have to do the planning, the planning up front. And you've got, is, is it the right time? How do you do your valuations? But once we get past that and you get into, What's, what, what's some of the next steps that I know they're going to talk more on Wednesday, but what are some of the next steps from there, Stephen? Well, um, be, with the presentation from Capital Plan Valuation Strategy, it shows uh, the team recommended uh, to execute. It's a uh, top flight group of people. Um, and so they get to meet uh, those people in that call and afterwards because you know, more deep dive is uh, healthy and helpful for the um, potential client. And that's the way they get to know the people involved. So you're having a team of people do what their skill sets have been developed over 20, 25, 30 years uh, is really special to a company.
company that may not know what's around the corner. And this group can uh, help them see what's around the corner. And that way they'll have less mistakes. Um, you always have Murphy's Law in getting anything done. So uh, that's life and making sure you have a wall that's in front of you and then you just have to break through it if something gets in the way. But the audits are in incredibly important in having a good auditor that knows what they're doing. Uh, the patents being uh, valued and looked at, um, uh, being able to file with the SEC uh, and having a, a good filing agent uh, know how to execute that from a building the document perspective, having foundational legal looked at. Uh, and what does that mean? Well, making sure that whatever you've done, maybe you haven't filed your Form D as an example uh, to the SEC on the capital that you raised over the last five years. And sometimes people just forget that they needed to do that. Mm -hmm. Our job mm -hmm. as a quarterback is to make sure that all our team members are executing their skill sets uh, for that client. And so that client uh, can have uh, some baseline to be much more comfortable that he's he or she's got the pros uh, helping them uh, get this project accomplished and completed. And so mm -hmm. uh, quarterbacking that, um, being able to have that team of people that work together uh, all the time is very, very beneficial to the client because they know that if they pick up a phone call, send an email, we're all getting copied or we're all calling each other or, hey, did you get this accomplished? That way you can also speed up uh, the results uh, to getting to market as well from mm -hmm. a Regulation A or CF perspective. Um, so that team is very, very important to us. Uh, and we have been blessed with the fact that um, they are all the best in their uh, business. And uh, we enjoy the fact that they um, help make sure that the client always comes first. Uh, also, the fact that uh, so many team members are just fixed rate. Uh, in many deals, people will charge extra hourly rates. And mm. um, that can get really crushing. For a, for a smaller company. Um, and uh, if it's uh, done right at the get-go, meaning you, you hire somebody that's uh, done this, been there, done this, and uh, it's a flat rate fee, uh, you have yourself also some um, more understood costs uh, with respect to getting uh, to that A-plus uh, finalization. Um, but it's a big decision. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to make a big decision that is in the multi-million dollar world of raising capital, uh, do it with knowing uh, everything you can, uh, study it, uh, get a presentation built so that you aren't just, you know, throwing something up against the wall. Uh, look at it, get the details, study the, the work that's been done, and then you now can see why this team uh, might be a, a lot better than some other team or there is no team at all. Not having a team is a mistake. Not having somebody that knows how to do all these pieces is a mistake in my belief. Uh, so we think ours is uh, the best. And um, we like showing that by having a presentation uh, for the community uh, with respect to um, their particular business model. And then we can uh, show them what does it look like with this team executing, when can we get it done, and what's the potential of bringing that uh, capital into the company. Got it. hundred percent. Uh, it keeps coming back to, to, there's a lot of, a lot of parts here. You touched on, you know, you need a good auditor, you know, you need the quarterback to make sure that the planning structuring the deal up front is the timing, right? Uh, you need a broker dealer. What does the broker dealer do in this case? The broker dealers is like your insurance, you know, for the most part. Um, and I'm talking to, talking to broker dealers that are doing, you know, the KYC and the ID and the AML 
um, to, to verify the individual investors, you know, for your offering. They're like an insurance policy for, you know, for the issuer. Cause sometimes I hear the comment, well, why do I need, do I, do I legally need certain services? Um, yeah, there's a lot of things you can do by yourself, but I wouldn't, you know, for use a medical metaphor, I'm not going to operate on myself either because, you know, I might be a podiatrist and might have something else going on with my heart, but, um, yeah, the primary broker dealer is really important uh, as well. And that's, of course, part of the team um, being able to have the uh, research done uh, by life science intelligence is very important to the team because they do a lot of deep dives on that industry and can do it on the company. Uh, and that's very helpful to being able to present the message to the world of what's going on in the industry. What's the addressable market? There is so much that should really be reviewed and looked at as you wanna present it to the world of what you're doing. And that comes from all these different uh, slices that we have in the group. Uh, and that's uh, certainly very special being able to see, okay, some people are just stunned the digital raise is even available. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people, uh, especially early on would say, how is this real? Uh, this can't be real. It's too good to be true. And I would just say, I know it's so great. Finally, they deregulated the capital market so that uh, retail investors, smaller businesses can actually tap the capital markets like the big boys and possibly build their balance sheet so that everybody uh, can have a, uh, a, a higher lift uh, with respect to the markets. Um, so it's a lot of fun to hear that. And then it's a lot of fun to be able to educate that it's real. And mm -hmm. that's all because of the job. Act uh, because of David Will working so hard to get that done, and then being able to present that to the to the country, to Canada, to the world. Uh, here is an, another way that just wasn't available uh, years ago, uh, and so it's it, it really can help uh, bootstrap up the company, the country even more if it was more understood, more used, and um, allowed people to uh, to to get that executed as easy as possible, which CoreConnects does in their digital raise presentation, which is so cool, always has been cool to be able to watch. Um, oh, so thank, that thank team that. is critical to, to, to success. If you're going to have success, have a team, get it done. I couldn't have said it better. I mean, we're the hub and spoke kind of company. We're the technology facilitator, but we get we have to work with all of the different intermediaries. So we do have the opportunity to learn and more importantly, have the utmost respect for all the intermediaries and what role they play. Um, and when companies speak to us and say, hey, uh, why do I need why do I need you know, why do I need this or can I do my filing myself or can I do my auditor again? I keep coming back to say, um, you know, take a step back, take a deep breath and, and, and plan and do it right and, and respect the specialists in their fields. Um, at least you're going to go into your raise, you know, as knowledgeable as possible. And you're going to have a, you know, a, a much better chance to, uh, to achieve what you want to achieve or hit it out of the park. Um, you talked about Murphy's Law and that was a good analogy earlier. Say, hey, you got to expect things to go wrong. And if you plan properly, when things do go wrong, you can easily recover and you can um, pick it up if you have the team that's, you know, that can execute in the future for you. Um, kind of want to close the note as we're kind of hitting on towards the hour here. And I was, you mentioned uh, the Jobs Act and, and, I, and I never want to forget the term, the Jobs Act, because a lot of people don't really know that the Jobs Act, it was all about jobs and every single company that raises capital, what do they do with that capital? they create jobs. And at the end of the day, if we're creating jobs, the economy is going to grow. 
and it all starts with access to capital and these regulations on that are going to be discussed in more detail with with all the stakeholders and the intermediaries on Wednesday afternoon. Um, I think there's a lot to offer. There's sessions on, you know, from the auditor, from the broker dealer, from, you know, what's, what's involved in the filing requirements. Um, what forms do I fill in and how long does it take? So all of those questions get addressed on Wednesday. So, um, I'll leave I can't thank president Obama enough for signing this legislation without his pen. This would not exist without, David Weald gathering up all those uh, senators and Congress people to get this legislation passed, which was heavily uh, signed onto by everyone is just uh, fantastic. And I thank that legislative period uh, deeply for what they've allowed this country and Canada to be able to use. And I hope that they will keep raising the amounts available to be raised and also make sure that they allow uh, this execution of the um, regulations uh, to be even more um, widely understood and known about uh, so that uh, people can keep building their business models and build their balance sheets. You said that so well, and I think that's a great way to end it. And I do think you've predicted some things in the future that it's going to be a hundred million plus, and then don't be surprised in the, in the very near future um, as far as what a company can raise. And that's going to even open up more doors for more different types of companies that need that kind of capital. But for now, uh, it's, uh, it's just a great journey to be part of all of this with, with uh, companies like yourself, Stephen. And, and uh, I'm really, really proud to be part of an ecosystem that you know, really wants to raise capital and really wants to help entrepreneurs out there. So on that, I'm going to close, close up the session and uh, looking forward to uh, our, our next visit. You're a great host, Peter. Thank you very much. Take care. Stephen, Bye -bye. thank you. Have a great day.